Hey, before we get started, I want to tell you about some bad actors out there. These are people that are trying to sell you annuities. Annuities uh, just don't make sense for the investor. They make sense for the person selling it to you. They have uh, tremendous commissions. They also make sense for the company who created the annuity. Uh, our advice for most annuities is to stay away. And that's simply because we are approaching financial planning from a fiduciary and fee-only standpoint, meaning that when we look at investments, we're trying to figure out what's best for the client. And most importantly, we don't sell product. People come to us to solve financial uh, questions or problems or help set goals for the future. So when we break all this down, uh, I don't know that in the history of our company we have ever recommended an annuity uh, simply because we don't have quotas. We don't have sales quotas to... Uh, to meet. Uh, our quota is to make sure that each family that comes to us gets the best uh, financial advice possible. The bad actors out there um, a lot of times are nice people and you might know them from a church or uh, baseball or something like that. It uh, doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that they've drunk the Kool-Aid of their organization to sell products that don't work in the best interest of their clients. So stay away. If you want to learn more, you can go to our website at wiserinvestor.com. At the very bottom of our screen, we have buyer beware of the annuity salesman. Input your email and you'll get download our white paper on why you should avoid annuities. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith, guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Hey, guys. Hi, Casey. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, we are now post-Masters Week. None of our picks um, came out, Matthews. No, uh, Mickelson wasn't close. Uh, Spieth <laughs> actually had a chance, but it didn't work out for him. That's true. Yeah, well... You're happy in Japan. I'm glad somebody's happy. History was made, so it was good. So we're rolling into the topic this week of inflation. Uh, we've seen a lot of articles floating around about inflation and uh, how they think it's going to be higher, which it's funny. Um, I feel like if you talk to somebody who's over 60 years old, I don't know who that would be, Brad. Um, they, I'm, what, I'm raising my hand. They actually, um, uh, they actually have experienced real inflation. They they saw a time period where there were ten percent CDs, right? Mm -hmm. um, people under sixty, I feel like, don't don't have a whole uh, lot of concept of what <laughs> what inflation really is. So I feel like that we have to actually start this segment out on what is inflation and and why is it such a bad thing or could be a bad thing. Well, as defined, inflation is simply the change in prices of goods and services that are bought by your average consumer. So the change in price over time equates to a an inflation number that is represented in a percentage. So a 1% inflation rate by the CPI means that one year from now, or now versus last year, the price of a basket of goods and services costs 1% more than it did then. You mentioned the CPI. That's the Consumer Price Index. Uh, but to kind of put that into perspective, uh, Casey was mentioning uh, how inflation rates have changed. Uh, they spiked in the early 80s, around 82 was kind of the peak. 
Uh, but from 1973 to 1982, uh, the average was 8.8%. Uh, and you saw rates go as high as early 80s up to past 15%. Uh, and then the average rate uh, overall since 1914 is actually 3.2%. Um, so it's been leveled out, especially over the last few decades. Uh, you saw in the 2000s, the average was 26 uh, and the 2010s, 1.8. So uh, it's been coming down. Uh, but, it, you know, at some point, um, that's kind of a big discussion now is uh, where will rates go and uh, most likely go up from there. So what, what, what was it in the 90s? What was the average in the 90s? Uh, not really sure. Okay. I thought that was on your That's uh, what a cup of coffee there. was. Oh, that's what <laughs> – how much was a cup of coffee in the 90s? Uh, 1990, 75 cents. Uh, and 70, 25 cents. Uh, now – Obviously, uh, two dollars plus depends if you're buying at Starbucks. Could I was about be, to say, could but be Starbucks seven dollars. Really around is predominantly in the '90s, so that might be skewed. No, but uh, you know, movie <laughs> tickets were about two dollars, and now they're closer to ten plus. So uh, that kind of gives you an idea. You hear usually about what a uh, bottle of milk or uh, what gas costs, kind of comparing to what what rates used to be and the the difference in purchasing power today. Well, when interest rates went to zero um, after two thousand and one. Well, we started down the zero path in 2001. Um, to, to me, that that should have spurred on crazy inflation, but it never did. Right? Right. The traditional approach to the cause and effect of inflation has changed over the past 20 years. And, you know, it, I believe it has a correlation to uh, uh, the way we calculate it now and the... Uh, external influences that are on the in the economy that didn't exist then and primarily one is technology the rate of adoption of technology and the creation of technology has changed the way we buy and the way we sell goods and services in our economy and has had a downward effect pressure on costs yeah your cable bill gets to be 250 dollars a month and you say i'm not going to spend 250 dollars a month on 250 TV channels that are a bunch of uh, stupid reality shows, right? Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? You end up with uh, YouTube TV or Hulu TV or uh, you, you you get a, a relatively cheap internet connection and uh, now all of a sudden you, you don't need the cable company anymore. The, the, uh, there's been some inflation in the online uh, streaming, you know, if you want live TV. So I think that's the cost is starting to come back up again. But but yeah yeah you 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 can you can say I don't want to spend more than X amount in entertainment and today you can figure out how to go do that through multiple platforms. Well, in a broad sense, that for example, as technology is adopted into the industrial sector, it increases productivity, okay, without increases increasing wages. It increases your ability to um, to research and development to bring products and services to market faster than before. So it's it's reducing these structural costs in our, you know, a supply chain to make it cheaper for us to buy and sell these goods and services. Um, one great example I think is is something that we see Uber. Uber's a great example. It used to be that the only way that you could get around without your own automobile would be in would be a taxi. Well, being a, a sole provider, they had a complete cost structure that, that was not infringed on by any other competition. Uber comes along and immediately the price of somebody to you know 
call up a car, come get them, take them to where they need, the price of that just dropped immediately. So technology in that sense dropped the price through competition. Yes. So that, that will continue to put a downward pressure on inflation. Um, although there are other things out there that are pushing up inflation now, which, which we're going to be talking about as we go through this. So um, it's, a, it's a push and pull, give and take, you know, uh, relationship in the economy, keeping balances, checks and balances in, in place. So, so the threat really to investors is the cost of living goes up. Right. Milk costs more. Replace your automobile Automobile costs more. The drive of the automobile costs more. Houses. Tra- yeah, houses. Traveling costs more uh, in general. You know, airfare, hotels, things of that nature. Um, Healthcare, it, it, obviously, too. We'll, yes. we'll talk about that later. So, for example, I'm on the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics website, and there's an inflation calculator. So let's say in January of 2000, a basket of goods and services cost $1,000, okay? So what would that cost you today? Now, today, that's 21 years later, but how long do we plan for people to retire, Casey? Forever. That's right. <laughs> it seems like we're planning out 30 years. Right. So here we're looking at a 21-year scenario. Buying goods and services for $1,000 in January of 2000, in March of 2021, those same goods and services would cost $1,569.18. So in 20 years, it's gone up 50%. That, and and we mentioned that this has been a historically low inflationary period. What did you say, 2.8, uh, something like that, over the, in the, the aughts, the 2000 aughts? Uh, the 2000, 2.6, yeah. 2.6? Um, you know, we're, we're in the, the mid-ones right now. Uh, I know March CPI was actually just released at 2.6. 2.6, so, I saw. Uh, That's it's, right. It's, it's going up. It was 1.7 in February. So, um, you know, it, we're beating estimates, and, and the talks are, you know, maintaining over that 2% range right now. Yeah. So, so over very long periods Which of time, is, even low inflation can have a devastating effect on your purchasing power. I mean, while we're working, typically um, you'd have pay increases mm-hmm. each year, right? So it kind of keeps up with that, theoretically. Um, Theoretically, too. I mean, uh, you know, Social Security is supposed to have a COLA cost of living adjustment. There's been some years that it hasn't. So that's another thing that you don't calculate. I think a lot of people think their their pensions and their Social Security are going to keep up with inflation. And that's not always the case at all. Well, there's what the government says inflation is. And then there's what your inflation is. And those are two different numbers sometimes. Right. I I think that's a great example because, you know, you go to the grocery store and who hasn't seen the prices on grocery shelves shelves? go sky high, you know, and we're talking about a one and two percent inflation that's being officially announced, but we're saying much higher than that, you know, at, at in the stores. I mean, who'd have thought you'd be paying five bucks for a box of cornflakes, you know, and has that box gotten larger? No, no, smaller, that's, a, that's an amazing <laughs> thing. That's right. two ways to keep this in check, either charge more or get less. Right. You know, pay more or get less. And so we see our proportions, you know, shrinking on the shelves. That's how they're keeping up with their that's inflation how, that, is they're serving us slightly that's right. less. That's or, right. You know. Or maybe the FDA wants us to eat less and they're trying to trick us into <laughs> it. Well, I, I think that from a planning standpoint, um, we have this covered because in our own financial plans here, we're we're building in the cost of inflation. So we don't ever ask people – 
how much do you need in the future and tell me what that future dollar amount is. We ask people, tell me what you need in the future in today's dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll go calculate that inflation. Healthcare inflation is is a little more wicked uh, in that it's, it's about 5% per year right now. And people think just because they're on Medicare, that's not going to increase, and that's not the case. Yeah, no, and, that's and, not the case at all. And that's what we see with people who are kind of doing their own retirement calculations where they get into trouble where – you know, they're, they're planning out over a 30 year period and they're not taking into account both healthcare inflation and overall inflation. And it right. makes a huge difference over a 30 year period. Well, I've always said it's easy to retire now. It's hard to stay retired, uh, 10 plus years later. Right. You start feeling a pinch and wonder why as well as because you didn't take into account, um, $5 cereal, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but that, that's very easy to do and, and plan around. You just have to have the right software. There's really nothing online right now. You have all these free retirement calculators. Nothing takes into account inflation. I think the best way to simulate it is when you put in your assumed rate of return. If your rate of return is, you probably should be using any more than 6% for a plan for a plan number, uh, you just you just subtract out what your inflation is. So if your inflation's two, then use four, right? Inflation's three, use a 3% rate of return. Yeah, your, your nominal or your real rate minus inflation. Exactly. So that, that'd be the best way to guesstimate it uh, for, you know, at home. Uh, but we have software that's able to do, to do both of those. Um, the, the other, I guess the other part too, and, and calculating inflation is what can you do about it? I mean, we talked about technology. We talked about, uh, there's consumer choices you can make, um, to help, to help lower the cost of, of living obviously, but some things you just can't avoid. So at some point your retirement has to have uh, inflation built in your, your, um, uh, even your retirement savings. So if you're not retired yet, your retirement savings has to have, uh, inflation built in. So let's transition the conversation to, uh, how do we protect a portfolio from inflation? What are some techniques that you can do inside a portfolio? Um, Brad, you're all things investments. <laughs> well, there are a number of, um, securities that are designed to do this as well as different, asset classes that have historically, you know, protected against the rate of inflation. Uh, a particular security is something called TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protection Securities. And they're designed to match the rate of inflation uh, through the, 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 the return that you receive over the lifetime of the security itself. The thing about these is that they are, they're forward looking. So they're as a security, the investors who utilize them are su- trying to project out in the future what inflation will be, and then the price of the security is adjusting now in the, in the here and the now based upon what the expectation for inflation is in the future. So it is a way to buy into a current environment hoping that inflation as an investor, hoping that inflation is greater than the expected inflation rate is in the future. That will help protect the a portfolio. Uh, it requires a large amount, quite frankly. I and mean, if you have a large portfolio, you need to have a large amount in this security in order to do that. So it's just one part of a portfolio way to protect your purchasing power of that portion of the portfolio itself. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate uh, all the feedback we've been getting from our listeners on future topics and uh, 
the uh, that a boy emails. We really appreciate that. Uh, we see listeners growing uh, every every single week, and that and that's fun for us, and we enjoy doing this. If you could take a minute, uh, depending on how you listen to the podcast, if you go to Spotify or Apple Podcast, um, and you could rate uh, our podcast a five star podcast, that'll help us in the rankings. We we continue to climb up each week, and the number of listeners, as well as uh, uh, as well as the response uh, on, on the feedback online. And then we've also started a YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you type in Wise Wealth Management, you can find the weekly roundup, which is a video between myself and Brad or myself and Matthews each week, just talking about some of the various topics that we've seen and uh, some interesting thoughts we might have on those. Again, thank you for listening. Please give us uh, positive feedback online. Help us grow the brand. Thank you. Inflation, so in the bond world, you, you buy a bond and you're getting a payment. So you get this coupon payment every single month. So if you're getting $100 a month, you can't change that. It's not like a stock where a dividend could be increased or there's a price increase. I mean, bonds prices do move up and down, but at some point they all mature at at the par value. So you're getting $100 a month. Inflation doubles live in venezuela now it doubles the hundred dollars a month buys half what it bought the prior month right that's that's why uh bond portfolios and inflation generally don't mix very well because those bonds are not going to be able to keep up with the purchasing power now there's ways around that you can move to shorter term bonds which means that new bonds that get issued would have a higher interest rate because of inflation so those shorter term bonds would mature faster then you can renew. That's right. Your reinvestment higher, rate is at the higher rate. Yeah, yes. So you get the new higher rate. Um, so that that's a great way to keep up with it. Uh, but but that's that's why we buy. You would buy tips in a portfolio. Uh, is the coupon uh, remains the same, but the value of the um, uh, of the product would go higher. And this is all set by the government tracking. The consumer price index. Right. And that's you just mentioned bonds. That's not the ag and other type of bonds, like you mentioned, measuring durational bond. This is more apples apples with the treasury yields and if it's gonna be higher than that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um commodities. How do we feel about commodities in portfolios? I personally <laughs> I don't see commodities as a long term healthy asset class. I want to invest in long term healthy asset classes. However, you would have commodities in a portfolio. Because if there's rapid inflation, right? They've that, underperformed that, for that, two decades plus now. So <laughs> it's kind of been tough to uh, say that they are. But but these are all the things in commodities. It's your beef. It's your beans. It's your, <laughs> it's your oil. Um, What's other things, too? Like you, you know, said, it's food. It's also energy. You know, oil and gas is considered in there and other types of metals. So, so that's uh, all the stuff that's increasing in value. It's all encompassing commodities. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the stuff that's costing us more. Therefore, if you own it, then you're appreciating uh, or uh, benefit of the appreciation of that of that price. I, I I think you know. I remember this coming out of the financial crisis. Everyone said, "Oh, got to add commodities to the portfolios. Inflation is going to be just going through the roof in the next few years." Never happened. In fact, I would argue we were in a deflation period, and we had to the government had to generate things to make it have inflation. Right. Right. So in deflation, that's a whole nother podcast, but that, that, that's a, 
that's a problem too. So they were protecting us from a uh, from prices going down, which is not necessarily a good thing uh, economically. But it never happened. Right. Everyone held short term bonds for a decade. If we had just bought the normal bond fund, we we would have done so much better. Probably three times better in the bond on the bond side. So. I, I, I just I feel a little burnt by the whole uh, commodity thing over the years, and I, I at this point I just say, yeah, you, you know, I I have my solution. I'll present so, that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, commodities are in the index already, so as, as an index investor, we're investing in commodities through the index itself. Well, not um, directly. It's not, not directly. future contracts. Well, you know, the energies, uh, the stocks, steel producers. Yeah. Etc. Through the stocks, yes, of those companies, right? Yeah. So we're seeing it, you know, in in that relationship. But yeah, commodities is one of those things that had a historical relationship to to inflation. But it was during a time when the inflation was more correlated to the economy, you know, as it was without the external influences that we've talked about now. Uh, even technology has even you know increased the ability to. Uh, extract commodities from the markets, you know, from their natural resource state, and has kept those prices down itself. You sure. know, we grow more beef, we raise greater crops, we have, we have ways meat, to we extract, have meatless beef you know, now. you know, endless, minerals from the ground, et cetera. In the supplies of meatless beef. There you go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, it's been a difficult run for them. Now, in this quarter, to, to uh, Matthew's point, energy has gone up 30%. Okay, so gas prices have driven this price of oil, you know, which may or may not have an True, been look, inflationary, look how low but we got geopolitical. Yeah, look how low we got. If you look at gas prices over the last uh, twenty-four months, though, we're about we're about even, right? We're, we're you know maybe even on the downside a little bit. Well, what's interesting is when when people think of gas and energy, they're thinking about what they pay at the pump, right? You know, when when oil was at one hundred and forty. We're paying three some dollars per gallon. Well, oil's still at sixty dollars, and we're paying two fifty, two sixty, two seventy a gallon. So the price of gas has gone up proportionately higher today on that barrel of oil than it did when it was one hundred and forty. True. So if it does go much, oil does go much higher. I don't know what's going to happen to the price of gasoline, or the gas companies are just making up for. You know, some lost revenues. You just mentioned oil and the price of futures. That's where I think it gets confusing for a lot of retail investors when they're just trying to figure that out. You know, you look last year when uh, crude oil futures actually went negative. And so that became a big issue when people were trying to to bet on that and trying to figure out what that meant for uh, the commodity and oil industry. But, yeah, there's a real difference in energy like oil and gas. Uh, and the the sector overall and in, in the futures markets. So there's a distinction. So I can have this conversation all day long with clients. How do we protect the portfolio from inflation? And we were just kind of rattling those off before we uh, started recording. And Matthew's threw a loop in there. It's always a young guy, right? Yeah. Got to switch it up a little bit. Matt, Matthew's threw a loop in there. He had a whole nother category for getting through inflation. You want to announce this? I don't, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, so uh, it's not. it hasn't really been proven yet <laughs> considering uh, the onset of it, but uh, Bitcoin is being said to uh, to be a hedge against inflation. They said it. Um, the B word. It's out there. It, exactly. It's it's everywhere. Uh, but just like precious metals with gold or any type of commodities, you know, the whole point of this is uh, there's a limited supply. You're having to mine it. 
and it's out there. So uh, we haven't had inf- a huge inflation since Bitcoin's been around. So it's kind of tough to say whether it'll keep up with inflation. But uh, just like these other uh, other assets we've discussed, you know, that they're saying that Bitcoin will be a hedge against inflation in the future once once we get inflation. I mean, if I lived in Venezuela or almost any third world country for that matter, it makes sense just from a currency fluctuation standpoint. Yeah, you're having thousand percent uh, inflation there. <laughs> can't buy Bitcoin, anything. Bitcoin would seem very stable. Yeah. Where compared to the U.S. dollar, Bitcoin doesn't seem uh, as as stable as the U.S. dollar. But uh, that that is interesting. That is interesting. In 2033, I think is when the last Bitcoin supposedly gets mined. We'll have that discussion. We'll to see have how that discussion. Worked out then. So mark that down in your notebook there. All right. 2033, um, we will start tracking. Bitcoin versus uh, inflation, the CPI. CPI versus Bitcoin <laughs> index. Um, uh, you know what? This is what I've learned in 20 years. And Brad, you're you're here with me, I think. I don't know. This We're going uh, rogue here off our schedule. Just own common stocks. Common stocks are going to react negatively initially to inflation. But... Who has the ability to change their pricing? Who has the ability to uh, squeeze where they got to squeeze? Right? It's it's companies. It's it's well. That's the whole you know, point of inflation is that it allows companies to raise prices in an inflationary period. Now, initially, the re- for common stock itself. It, 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 it's, it's competing for investors' dollars. So if they can go out and get a higher return on a bond, that's thought to be safer investors may purchase bonds take money from stocks lowering the price of stocks but over time as these revenues begin to pick up given the new pricing arrangement that companies have Mm -hmm. stocks become attractive again investors start pouring money back into them prices go back up so there's you know a little bit of a movement that, uh, that occurs and also the secondary effect that when you're a common stock investor is you get the dividend and in an inflationary period, the same thing occurs. Prices may drop slightly in stocks, but over time, given increased revenues, post-inflationary periods see rise in dividends. So rising dividends offset inflation as well. You mentioned earlier that when investors buy bonds, it is a fixed rate. Common stock dividends that are declared by the board of directors are increasing. There's something, a group of stocks out there called the S&P Dividend Aristocrats. They've raised prices for over 20 years consecutively. These are companies that raise that dividend year after year after year after year, which has the effect of offsetting your purchasing power of inflation. Right. So common stock is a great place to offset inflation. So our only risk is the Fed gets it totally wrong. We see a 6 7% spike all of a sudden, and tips would benefit you from that uh, in that scenario. But otherwise, the steady growth of dividends and the, and the price increase in stock market is more than enough to keep up with inflation. So really the people that have the biggest risk would be the most conservative investors who maybe only have 20 or 30% of their total assets in the stock market. But for the rest of us who are saving for retirement or even have a 60-40 allocation in retirement, it's really not as big of a deal um, because it it just kind of takes care of itself. You, you shouldn't be buying any additional products for your portfolio 
Uh, we're looking at tips even over the last uh, 10 years. There hasn't been any bright spot there. You've been waiting for inflation, but they haven't really, it hasn't really done much for you, right? Now, if we get real inflation, maybe, maybe there's a spike, but um, I, I, I just think keeping the portfolio conservative, the bond side very conservative, short short maturity, and then focusing on um, uh, focusing on, on the growth stocks, um, you're you're fine, right? Right, and you keep in mind that there's also we have a we have a, another player here, and that's the Federal Reserve, and their stated goal is to not allow inflation to rise much above two percent. Now that's a little bit of a fungible number right now, but if it begins to rise, and you mentioned three, four, five, six percent, they have tools in their toolbox to combat that and bring inflationary pressures back downward. So well, I, that I th- that's the part that I'm telling you that I don't have a whole lot of faith that they'll get it right at least the first time. So there's going to be some volatility during that time period, but you just ride through that volatility. Right. You're, you're not going right. to jump ship. You're not going to yeah. you know, sell stocks because of inflation. That's that, you know, that's like selling your car because the gasoline prices are too high and you're going to start walking. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Right. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a number of issues out there in the, in the marketplace and that, uh, are helping keep inflation in check. Now, we've talked about inflation. We've read about it in the newspapers, and it's a very topical subject right now. But it, as Matthew's mentioned, it's gone from 1.8 to 2.6. These are very small increases overall. As long as we don't go back to 15%. That, uh, that's right. Gradually, it'll be right. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's still 10 million people unemployed after the COVID crisis from 2020. That's job market slack, if you will, will also help to keep down wage pressure, which keeps down inflation as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of structural issues that still exist in the marketplace that will help to keep pressure on downward pressure on inflation. So the unemployment rate, we're in a global economy, which means that the supply chain can move around into different parts of the globe to find the lowest costs of labor and production. And again, we'll mention technology that helps to increase production and lower costs. So there's still a number of things out there that are help keeping inflation in check. Another thing we've kind of forgot to mention would be real estate. Real estate's a hedge against inflation as well, um, regardless if it's just individual real estate. I know we, we believe in a lot of uh, real estate investment trusts through ETFs as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a great very good point. point. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we deploy real estate in our portfolios, but... But yeah, yeah, just real estate in general, though, has people say, I, I can make much more money in, in real estate. And you know, real estate forces you to be a good investor, not necessarily the real estate investment trust, because you can liquidate those overnight. But think about just buying rental properties or buying commercial properties. If all of a sudden there's a change in the market, you don't see people going, oh, I got to sell. I've, I've, this, this thing lost $50,000 in value last year. I got I to gotta sell it. Well, there's a process to that. There's also a 6% commission <laughs> that goes along with that. But there's a process of people People uh, have better behavior with real estate. That's why they tend to think they make more money in real estate because they can't panic and sell and, and be- do things based on emotion. They only look at the values when they want to. Exactly. You know, you're not checking it constantly. Right, right. And you, get that, you have that rental check coming in, and they see that check. Uh, large cap investing is, can be very much the same way. Uh, people just 
can pull the plug a lot easier than uh, buying actual real estate. So, all right, guys, uh, anything else to add to this uh, wonderful inflation conversation? What we're not no. going to have here is an inflation of time. We try to keep all of our podcasts around 30 minutes for our listeners, and we're at 28 right now. So let's uh, we'll say goodbye, and we'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thank you. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.